When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. the Brian Crombie Radio Hour on Saga 960. I've got two fascinating professors at the University of Lethbridge to introduce you uh, to tonight. Uh, Dr. Igor Kovalek, uh, he is the CEO of a firm called uh, Pathway Rx Inc. Uh, and uh, they're working on a potential cannabis strain that would be a possible preventive treatment for COVID-19. And interesting enough, his wife, Dr. Olga Kovalek, uh, who is a professor and the Board of Governors Chair in Cancer, she's an expert in radiation biology, oncology, and epigenetics. And uh, we're gonna talk with her about radiation and cancer, uh, both uh, men versus women. And interesting enough, uh, uh, Dr. Olga Kovacek uh, was a 16-year-old high school student in, uh, in uh, Chernobyl um, when uh, the power plant blew up. And so I'm gonna be interested in chatting with uh, her, as, uh, her as well about that. Um, Igor and Olga, doctors, both of you, welcome to the Brian Crombie Radio Hour. How are you today? Thank you very much. I'm doing great. Thank you. We're doing great. Thanks for inviting us. Thank you so much for joining us. So we're uh, joining you from Lethbridge, I presume. How is Lethbridge? Uh, we actually are right now in Calgary. So we live in Calgary uh, nowadays, but I assume Lethbridge is uh, good as well. It's just two hours drive. Excellent. And Dr. Kovacek, Igor Kovacek, tell me uh, a little bit about uh, the work that you're doing at Pathway Rx, please. Right, so the, the basically our uh, PassRx is a company to work in, um, on medicinal cannabis. Um, we have started the company uh, in 2016, um, uh, developing the collection of uh, a variety of cannabis uh, hybrids, right? So we're crossing uh, different uh, hemp and Mariana hybrids and collective uh, created over uh, a thousand of those. And so his idea was basically to uh, develop uh, various formulations for a variety of uh, conditions. And so we started to study uh, the effects on cancer, uh, effects on our uh, inflammation of different kind, uh, skin aging, skin conditions like psoriasis and eczema. And uh, until COVID uh, hit, we had already a um, number of varieties that were selected. Uh, we have uh, checked over 400 of them uh, so we have selected varieties that are uh, fairly strong, uh, um, with fairly strong anti-cancer properties, with uh, anti-inflammatory properties, and filed a number of patents and uh, prepared already a clinical trial um, uh, on rheumatoid arthritis. And then when uh, COVID started, it was all of this was on halt. But on the other hand, um, it gave us an opportunity to explore uh, whether the uh, cannabis extracts would be uh, uh, worthwhile to use for uh, COVID-19 and for uh, perhaps of for inhibition of the virus uh, replication. And we indeed found um, uh, a dozen or so of extracts that are able to uh, reduce 
the amount of uh, gateway receptor, uh, so-called ACE2. So when a virus infects a cell, it requires uh, an interaction with a cell. And this interaction for, uh, uh, for SARS-CoV-2 virus occurs through so-called ACE2 receptor. So our extracts can reduce the receptor's uh, expression by more than 70%. That means the cells have fewer of those receptors on the surface, and therefore the virus is, uh, has uh, less chances to get uh, into the cells and infect you. Sorry, sorry I apologize. Um, you're saying that there's a 70% reduction in the probability that the virus can, can attach to the cell? Um, not, not quite. So there is a 70, um, 70 plus percent decrease in the number of receptors on the surface. Whether this will actually uh, uh, transpire, let's say, into 70% reduction or 95% reduction or 20% reductions, it remains to be uh, uh, tested, right? So in clinical trial, we'll basically demonstrate how many, uh, if you use, let's say, preventatively on a thousand uh, people, how many are hospitalized normally and how many are hospitalized when they take their extra. So that's right. the idea of the clinical uh, trial. Sounds like a fascinating uh, opportunity. Why don't we now turn to uh, Dr. Olga Kolvacek and maybe you can also give us a little brief overview of what your research is into. Well, uh, as you mentioned, so I'll just make one one little correction. I wasn't born in Chernobyl itself, so but it was, I'd say probably what about 600 kilometers away from it. So in, in Canadian Canadian terms, it's relatively close. So, and uh, and yes, you know, for until COVID hit, we have been looking at uh, anti-cancer effects of cannabis, anti-inflammatory effects of cannabis, as well as actually trying to see whether or not it can be used in combination with other therapies for, for cancer, whether it can potentiate cancer treatments, and also whether or not, um, Let's put it this way: Is it is it safe to use? Because, for example, we we know that some of the strains are strong anti-inflammatory, but some of the new cancer treatments are actually there to promote immune system killing cancer cells, right? Just to make sure that, for example, that we are not counteracting the modes of action of other drugs. So, and uh, that, of course, all built on the previous research that was was done and still is going on in the lab on the if, again on the mechanism of cancer induction on the mechanisms that are involved in cancer treatments and also looking in how different diseases affect men and women. So we started applying uh, some of those you know, thoughts along with uh, some previous kind of research-based ideas into the field of medical cannabis. And then of course COVID hit and kind of mixed up everything. <laughs> and we thought, okay, from what we have learned from other diseases, what we've learned from other experimental models, can we extract some useful information from that that could in the future be applied to COVID research? So that's pretty much how we came into looking into uh, medical cannabis extracts that may potentially be in the future used to uh, combat COVID. But again, I want to say uh, the key thing right now is, you know, Doing certain types of experiments, drawing certain types of conclusions is really very important. But what's really important for us now is to be able to continue this work, to be able to do more, to be able to look deeper and to be able to start trials to prove that it's really how we think, that it really works how we think it works. Thank well, you. we all hope that you're uh, successful in that regard. We're going to take a break. We're chatting uh, tonight with Dr. Igor Kovalachek and Dr. Olga Kovalachek, uh, two uh, MD-PhDs uh, that specialize in medical cannabis. 
awareness for COVID-19 as well as cancer and a lot of other inflammatory problems. Stay with us. We'll come right back. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. conversation tonight about medical cannabis and whether it could be uh, useful for COVID-19. Um, Dr. Igor Kovacek and Olga Kovacek have been working on uh, cannabis, medical cannabis, for cancer and other inflammatory uh, diseases. Um, they mentioned the rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, I want to come back and explore all of those things. But interesting enough, uh, they switched uh, to COVID-19 and started investigating that. Uh, so maybe we can delve into that in a little bit more detail. Um, so my understanding is that uh, COVID-19 has a massive inflammatory reaction in the respiratory system. So how is the cannabis potentially helping that? Right, so I'll probably leave it to, uh, for Olga to explain. So, uh, but to start with, uh, as just a, a small prelude, uh, we have generated uh, this thousand plus hybrids for one specific purpose because cannabis is not generic, right? So we, uh, we understood that there's a diversity in the chemical composition, cannabinoids, terpenoids, and all the rest. And the only fraction of the cultivars would work. And in fact, when we, pro when we made 400 extracts out of this 400, only about 40, 48 have good anti-cancer properties and only 10 were good enough so that we thought we would move to a uh, to clinic, uh, right? And same with, uh, with inflammation, only a fraction, less than 10% were strong anti-inflammatory and uh, those so, were- So, just let me interrupt. When you say extracts, you're talking about different types of plant varietals? Yes, so basically, so we generated over a thousand hybrids. We took about 400 of them flowers from them, right, and made an ethanol extract, solvent extract, right? And this extract was applied either to cancer cells or so-called human 3D tissues uh, where inflammation was induced. And then when we apply the extracts, we basically look how they reduce the inflammation. And that's- oh, So uh, let, me, let me ask you simplistically, I go to the, if I go to the local uh, uh, cannabis store here in uh, Toronto, uh, they'll have different descriptions of different plants that are good for different things. What you're saying is that's true. Different plants do no, different they, things. Just let me correct you, Brian. They will not have description what it's good for because it's illegal in Canada to promote your product claiming medicinal properties without clinical trials. So you come to the store and you will have a generic uh, extract without any, like if it's in dispensary, uh, the bartender or, or whoever you call it, uh, butt tender, could tell you, right? So because yeah. he doesn't, uh, he doesn't bear, he doesn't bear any legal responsibilities, pretty much, right? But if I am a licensed producer, I cannot tell you what to use it for. Simply, it's simply illegal until the clinical trial is done. You cannot claim anything. Okay, but but you're right. The uh, the bartender or butt tender or whatever you're calling him does say this is good for this and that's good for that. And so therefore, what you're saying is that's true. That different types of uh, cannabis are good for different things. And what you're trying to do is find the ones that are good for inflammation, particularly cancer, correct? Absolutely, and our purpose is to make it actually uh, to a clinical trial, demonstrate that this uh, on patients and only then we can have a claim. So Olga will get. Yeah, absolutely, I, I fully agree because yes, there is a lot of knowledge because cannabis has been used medically for you know centuries. 
it goes back, you know, a couple of thousand years, thousands of years ago, right? Then it was introduced into, um, you know, European culture, and actually one of the, one of the doctors, or who was a doctor of, of, I believe, Queen Victoria, was actually promoting cannabis-based medications for some of the ailments uh, that people had at that time. So again, I didn't know that. Queen Victoria took cannabis. Uh, yeah, it was uh, you know one of the one of the lectures of one of the historical lectures I've heard, and it really amazed me. I was like, wow, I didn't like. One of the doctors in India basically uh, he treated uh, hundreds of patients, and uh, not only he found a lot of medical value, but he actually there was an investigation to to potential addictions, whatnot, and Indian government concluded that. Uh, yes, there is mild addiction, but those that are addicted are more harm to themselves than to anyone else. So therefore, they concluded that it's totally safe. So. But again, this was like, you know, way before the prohibition years, yeah, right? right. And then with the prohibition, there was a lot of research that was stopped. And unfortunately, kind of a lot of, you know, really good research was stopped. A lot of knowledge was kind of, you know, lost, you know, kind of ran through the cracks, right? And right now with you know this renewed interest in this plant and with renewed research, I think we'll have to sort of rediscover it again. Because right. yes, there are a variety of different strains, variety of different cultivars around us. And what's important to know is that not every cultivar is good for everything you can think it of, right? It uh, appears that cannabis is non-generic. So if we would, for example, say ampicillin kills certain types, you know, for example, ampicillin is good for, uh, it's let's say it's an antibiotic, it's good for source growth, right? So it kills a lot of bacteria and it generally works as ampicillin works, regardless of which company produced it, right? One second, third one is a generic, it's, it's all generic, now it's all patent. But we cannot say that cannabis is cannabis is cannabis because it's derived from different plants, from different strains. Like Igor mentioned, it has different compositions of cannabinoids and terpenes, and they work together in the so-called entourage effect, right? So, and with that, we couldn't say that every strain of cannabis is good for, let's say, rheumatoid arthritis. No, you have to find the, one, the right one. But there is, of course, this historical evidence that, and lots of cases, when people will say, you know, my uncle took cannabis for rheumatoid arthritis pain and his pains went away. That becomes like a case. And lots of cases, of course, and then these stories are circulating. And that's why people would say, you know, in the in dispensary, will say, take this, that it may be good, right? right. So, but as a, any company, nobody can put any claim on the product. Like, for example, uh, on the very same ampicillin, it will say, what are the directions of use, right? Use against, or here we cannot do it. Why? Because not a single clinical trial has been done on those that actually proves. We have done preclinical research. Even we cannot put, and we are not, God forbid, putting any claim that our strains can do this. We say we have seen that in a preclinical model in, our, in the lab, that mechanistically our strains affect the receptor that brings the virus, they also affect the markers of inflammation. But so unlike uh, President Trump that told everyone that they should start taking uh, this uh, colorant or whatever it was called uh, drug, you're not telling everyone if you get COVID start uh, smoking up. Oh, no. No, 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 absolutely. I'm telling everyone that what needs for, you know, take it with a grain of caution. We need to run a bona fide clinical trial 
to randomized, blinded, you know, double blind, so people don't really know what they're taking. Because if, if you're told, oh, you're taking cannabis, you think, oh, it's going to help me, right? So that's already what's going to muddy the water. So it has to be randomized, double blind, controlled trial. And then if people who have were taken the specific, uh, for example, combination, um, or the specific extracts will have less hospitalizations, will have less severe outcomes, and it will be statistically significant. Uh, then so, so I completely agree that we've got to do the clinical trials. Um, have you got a, uh, a mode of, uh, of application? Is this going to be something that someone smokes, or is this going to be something that you uh, inject, or a pill, or what? So we thought about several. So there are two most obvious ones is a nasal spray and mouthwash. This is more preventative, right? And for treatment of uh, symptoms, so preventing this uh, cytokine storm, preventing the lung failure, it could be uh, either transdermal patch, uh, suppository, or a uh, gel cap, sublingual. So um, there are different ways of Get but it doesn't make sense that someone would be smoking when they've got a respiratory infection. No, not at all. Combustion products, overall smoking itself, right? Uh, there were several articles that warned people that smoking, nicotine smoking, like cigarette smoking, can actually exacerbate COVID. Why? Because it affects that very same receptor. It increases the amount it of receptors. And if we are, for example, delivering cannabis through the same combustion mode, the odds are it may harm, it may do that, that very harm right. because of those products. Yeah. So that, that's, that's actually fascinating. Can I interrupt just for a second? You know, I was uh, shocked at the commentaries about these protests in the United States when people were spraying pepper spray and the pepper spray was having a huge impact on the respiratory system. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and the comments uh, were that that wouldn't have any kind of uh, negative effect if the people were exposed to uh, uh, COVID-19. But given what you're saying about smoking necessarily, uh, negatively impacting uh, COVID-19. You got to think if you get pepper spray and COVID-19, you got to be really destroyed. Well, uh, you know, of course, uh, I wouldn't say that pepper spray is benign, but again, I have, oh, don't take me for, you know, for an expert here because, you know, we haven't studied it, but I would agree with you on that. I, I you know, as like, you know, as, a, as an average citizen, I'd say, who knows a little bit of science, I'd say, well, you know, I don't think it's as easy as that. It's not as benign. Yeah, because any, any spray, like if it irritates, uh, irritates your, your lungs, right, your bronchi, that means there is a mild inflammation response right away. And if there is a mild inflammation response, uh, it may help the virus to, to you know, uh, even, uh, even more to, to get yeah. it. Yeah. You mentioned another term. I'd love it if you could explain. What is a cytokine, cytokine storm? Sorry. Yeah, cytokine storm. Cytokine. <clears throat> cytokines. So cytokines are small molecules, small proteins that are produced in our body in response to inflammation. And they are essentially drivers of inflammation itself. So when our organism is, is exposed to a variety of you know, foreign things, so yes, we try to fight them. And cytokines normally are again part of this response. But sometimes, and we don't really know why it happens. So our immune system, which is trying to fight, you know, the virus or, you know, something else, goes into an overdrive and produces huge amounts of them. Like, you know, this is what's called cytokine storm. 
And what they do is, the, uh, in, and in this case, so essentially what immune system does by doing so, it starts ruining our own tissues. It starts attacking our own tissues. And this is what happens in acute respiratory distress syndrome, ARDS. <clears throat> that is the, the one that actually puts people on the ventilators. So why people's lungs fail? It's actually not because of the virus per se, but because of our immune system in some individuals. And we can't pinpoint who is more susceptible, unfortunately. Because if we could, you know, we wouldn't have that problem, right? And so what you're trying to do is, uh, is stop that inflammation um, and stop that cytokine storm. Right. Right, so, so basically our cannabis and cannabinoids are the way they work in our body. We have so-called endocannabinoid system, right? So that means we do produce our own cannabinoids, right? So we have our own receptors. The role of the endocannabinoid system is our homeostasis, right? So it's a balance in all responses, right? So if there is too much of something, it brings it down. If it's too little, it brings it up. So it's a basic explanation, but that's why if you take a phytocannabinoid, so with, with cannabis, uh, it will just curb your response to the level that is physiological. So all cannabis does is tries to bring any system as close to physiology as possible. It can be whether this is the inflammation response, whether it's the response to the glucose and diabetes, whether it's response to always stimulation for PTSD, for example, and, and uh, seizures, uh, whether it's the response to pain, uh, you name it. So it's a balancing mechanism, homeostatic mechanism of our organ. Okay, so this is interesting. So what you're saying is that cannabis, what it does is it doesn't you know, give you a high. What it does is it, it, it brings you to um, homeostasis. It brings you to a balance. Right. So when you when you use the term high, I just want to make sure that what, what you mean, because basically, yeah, certain uh, strains of cannabis will make you high if they're high in THC. But this is basically a side effect. Right. But in general, physiological levels of cannabinoids that that you take is balancing your responses. Absolutely. It's balancing response to pain, balancing response to pathogen, balancing response to the glucose, to uh, any stimuli, pretty but much. The, but the key word there is physiological amounts. So of course, if you take a truckload of something, that of course will be yeah. So just to, to give an example, for example, if you take THC for pain, or reducing PTSD symptoms, then two, three, four milligrams would be physiological dose. Five to 10 at a single dose would be impairing dose. 20, 30 would be a dose of high that you know you, you experience when you smoke a joint, for example, right? So, so there are different levels of response to that. Yeah. This is an absolutely fascinating conversation that we're having uh, tonight uh, with uh, two uh, um, physician MD, uh, PhDs uh, at the University of Lethbridge. Uh, they're speaking to us from the, from Calgary, where they live. Um, they're both uh, from the Ukraine, um, Dr. Igor Kovalchuk and Dr. Olga Kovalchuk. We're going to take a break and come back in just a minute. Stay with us. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. 
In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Stream us live at Saga960AM.ca. Well, we're back with uh, the two doctors from the University of Lethbridge, uh, Dr. Igor and Dr. Olga Kovacek, uh, who uh, both are MD, PhDs, specializing in cancer and cannabis, and now uh, COVID-19 and cannabis. Um, how did the two of you get into cannabis? Why? You're, you're, you're both uh, obviously very smart and, uh, and, and experienced uh, scientists as well as medical practitioners. What brought you to think about uh, doing research in cannabis? It's, it's, it's a great question. So these, 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 the story is even worse because uh, I am an OBGYN by training and all days a dentist before we went to science. And I became plant biotechnologist and she's a cancer biologist. So go figure, right? So um, <laughs> since I worked on plants, um, I worked also on medicinal plants. I used to work on medicinal poppy uh, since uh, about 2008 or so. I had the um, uh, license, dealer license uh, for almost 10 years uh, to work on uh, opium poppy. And when uh, cannabis uh, became uh, more prominent, let's say, uh, in 2015, I applied for, for a license, uh, received it in 2016, and um, the rest is a history for me. And he's a, as, a, as a partner in crime, uh, obviously uh, was willing to study cannabis as well. Yeah, when, when he started working on it, of course, you know, the, uh, they were breeding a lot of things and we started talking about what is it good for, how can we test it, what do we have already in-house in terms of our models, what can we apply it to, and that's pretty much how it started and how it, it grew. Excellent. And, uh, and so cancer was one of the first areas that you focused on, is that correct? Yes. And, and yeah, right. all types of cancer or uh, specific types of cancer? Well, uh, you know, in general, we, we focused on quite, on several that we already we were already working on. We the first one we, we focused on was breast cancer. Then I had a really pretty large program in uh, CNS cancer, central nervous system cancers like a brain cancer, which is glioblastoma, or cancers that are derived from neuroendocrine system like neuro, uh, like neuroblastoma. Then we also looked into lung cancer, colon cancer, the most common ones. The 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 big the, you know, the largest contributors to the cancer deaths all are the uh, breast, lung, and colon, as well as also prostate cancer in men. And then we also started looking into melanoma, which is again very interesting one. Head and neck cancers, a couple of types of sarcomas. So it's it's a pretty large array. And, and when you're doing that, have you found that uh, specific strains are better for specific? Um, types of cancer, or no, it's, it's, it's one specific strain that's good for all cancers? 
Right, that's a great question. So we started with breast cancer, right? So, and we profiled around 400 uh, strains for breast cancer. So we identified about 48 that worked well. So when we uh, thought, well, uh, we'll use this 48 for colon cancer. And um, we found that less than half worked on colon cancer. So when, then what we did, we analyzed what's the level of THC, CBD, and other cannabinoids, as well as terpenes in this uh, uh, strains. Obviously, we want to know is a common pattern, right? And we found that correlations that we established for breast cancer, let's say between the level of CBD or level of specific terpene like myrcin and whatnot, if it works for breast, it may not work for colon. So uh, patterns of active molecules are quite different. So again, uh, cannabis is very specific, even for uh, cancer uh, uh, as, a, as a disease. Yeah. Intuitively, why would that be? Why would different types of uh, cannabis plants, cannabis extracts be good for different types of cancers? Like, why would, why would Mother Nature, why would evolution create that? No, this is a really great question. And there are two sides to that story. One side is cancers themselves. Cancer is a very, very heterogeneous disease, right? So, and the mechanisms of development of breast cancer, for example, or colon cancer, there are some common fundamental ones, but there are some very precise ones. There are some that are very specific to breast. And on top of it, even when we say breast cancer is actually a very, very broad definition. There are several subtypes of it. Right, so you may have heard of the drug called Herceptin. Yes. So it's it's used in a very specific subtype of breast cancer, which is very deadly, which has HER2 receptor overexpressed. And then there is another drug called Tamoxifen. You may have heard of that or not. So it is used to treat breast cancer, which has uh, estrogen receptor involvement. And you cannot use them vice versa because they ain't gonna help. Okay, because one mechanism is HER2 is driving HER2 positive breast cancers, whereas estrogen receptor is driving estrogen receptor positive cancers. So cancers, again, very heterogeneous. And cannabis as a plant is also a very heterogeneous plant, right? So if you look at, even if you look at different strains, they look different, right? Some are tall, some are short, different, slightly different branching. And of course, they have different, they smell different. This is just the key things, but they also have different compositions of cannabinoids and terpenes and different variations. So, and if you start thinking about how many different composition options are there, it becomes almost like you really need to do a good match. Right, so the cannabinoids and ter ter terpenes are working on the receptors. So if you look at the surface of the cell, there are many proteins that simply are looking for a message. So for example, uh, we have insulin receptors or growth hormone receptors. So that dot to the cell and tells what to do. So that's how endocannabinoids and terps work. We know over a dozen of receptors with which cannabinoids interact. And THC and CBD interact with different receptors. In fact, THC would bind to your CB1 receptor in the brain and exert one type of action. CBD can compete for them for that receptor and prevent THC of binding and exerting the psychoactive property. That's why uh, the cannabis that is uh, high in CBD uh, can would prevent strong psychoactive effect. Another example, terps, uh, terpenes, they can modulate the response. Uh, and even in ancient uh, Greece, 
um, there was a, a, a document, basically a, a SOP, what to do with when you're high and want to continue to, part, to party. Can you believe that? So basically, what they were suggesting. So if you're high from cannabis, you 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 eat pine nuts and wine that was because they use these special vessels from skin and whatnot, and they have special turps released. So they were suggesting on, on pine, pepper, and this wine that basically because they have turps that can interact and uh, inhibit the re re response to THC so that you can get to party again. So. Well, so this is interesting. So what you're saying is that actually in some of the extracts that you're using, you have both THC and CBD. I was understanding that most people that are looking at medical cannabis were only using the CBD. Right. This is a very important question. So, uh, and it's important to understand that. So um, if you use uh, THC and, and THC and CBD, um, it of course the effect would depend on the balance of THC and CBD. You're right. So as a patient, I do not want to be impaired, right? So if I have a chronic ailment, you know, I want the ailment to uh, to uh, uh, disappear rather than uh, you know being impaired. Um, if you use, uh, but it depends on the condition. If you have pain, THC is much better for pain than CBD, right? But you cannot take it too much because you get impaired. So then it means you have to balance it with CBD. So depending on the condition, you could be better off uh, with different uh, proportion or ratio of CBD to THC. But uh, based on what we see in the lab, pure CBD is much worse than a CBD that is in botanical extract with all other cannabinoids and, and terps uh, in anti-inflammatory properties and many others. So you need all this entourage effect of all molecules. Really, so that's, that's, that's fascinating. So this is, we're talking about inflammation, either cancer inflammation or respiratory inflammation. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and inflammation is being inflamed. And how does the CBD versus the THC impact inflammation? In, inflammation? You're saying for pain, the THC is better. So what does the CBD do for inflammation that the THC uh, does? Absolutely. So you give an example, if it's inflammation, if you have a pain in the joint, right? So for example, right, on the muscle, whatnot. So uh, pain is a component of uh, mul you know, multiple reasons, right? So one is always stimulation of neurons and second, simply uh, exudation. So when the vessels uh, dilate, they are uh, penetrable for more water pretty much. And this water presses on your nerves and that's how you feel pain. So when you take THC, it works on pain directly on on the receptors because the CB1 receptors are in the nervous system and basically it blocks always stimulation so you don't get sensation of pain right so so this is not cure it just reduces your perception of pain but CBD actually works on re reducing a physiological morbid condition so pathology of pain that's where it works on uh, on variety of uh, uh, blood cells and on variety of tissues, basically reducing the inflammation, reducing all the factors that contribute to this swelling, you know, reduces the number of uh, cells that arrive in there, number of cytokines, whatnot. So, so THC is filling uh, CBD more uh, mechanistic and physiological response. So it's, 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 let, me, let me use my simplistic analysis. So what you're saying is CBD actually cures the pain while uh, THC uh, takes away the symptom of the pain. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Basic explanation. Absolutely spot on. Yeah. And it also depends upon, again, how strong the pain is. 
So if the pain is like really very strong, like cancer pains, pains in cancer patients, many of them uh, resort to taking high THC strains to take care of that cancer pain because it's excruciating pain. So essentially what they're doing is uh, they are removing that pain sensation, that, that stimulus. And but the underlying cause is not affected by it. It's just your perception. But of course, when the pain is gone, people can start moving, people can start eating, and overall their quality of life improves. If we're talking about chronic pain, chronic pain such as arthritis pain, for example, what is causing it? It's that inflammation that's causing the pain. And that's where high CBD varieties, many of them have been looked at, whereby what these varieties do, they work on inflammation. And if you reduce inflammation, once inflammation is gone, pain is gone as a symptom of that inflammation. So again, for that matter, the high CBD or high CBD extracts are more kind of you know looked at and more interesting to look into. But just to make sure that we don't mis mislead anyone, both THC and CBD are more or less interchangeable whether you talk about pain or inflammation. For example, if you take cancer cells, THC and CBD, I shouldn't say more or less, it depends on cancer, but they're equally capable of reducing the cancer growth, right? THC uh, itself is anti-inflammatory. Right, so it may not be as strong as CBD, but fairly close. The only problem is that you cannot take enough uh, THC to reduce inflammation dramatically. In order to reduce acute inflammation, you need 500 milligrams probably of CBD, right? So uh, for deal, dealing with chronic, you need 50 to 100 milligrams. With THC, the maximum uh, uh, daily dose, I think 25 to 30 milligrams, that's what, uh, uh, as per FDA, I believe, or something like that. So that prevents, uh, you know, being impaired. But a single dose, it may be less than 10 milligram, right? Or less than five. So let's go back to COVID-19. Where are you in uh, understanding um, cannabis for COVID-19? You're in preclinical? Yes, we are. We are in preclinical. Everything we have done thus far is is classical preclinical work. We are using cell culture models. We're using tissue culture models. And right now, we are trying to you know look for partnerships to make uh, clinical trials happen, to prepare protocols, to submit them to you know to through Health Canada or through FDA, so that we can run clinical trials and you know pretty much put it to the put it to a test. Is it going to perform or not? Fingers crossed, of course. So I've spoken to several uh, different uh, groups that are working on vaccines, and they're getting lots of money and support from federal government and other agencies to accelerate vaccine development. How come we can't get uh, money for you to accelerate your cannabis uh, investigations? Well, unfortunately, money is scarce resource, you know. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> it's cannabis is still stigmatized. You're absolutely right. We received zero support, so we probably applied for five or seven different grants to the government, and we haven't received any uh, support at all. I, I believe, uh, in mind of the of the government, the people who distribute money, even the researchers, it's still a wood science, right? So, and that has to change. We're having a fascinating conversation this uh, evening with uh, two um, MD PhDs from the University of Lethbridge that are working on cannabis for both cancer as well as COVID-19. We're going to take a break and come back for a final session with them. Stay with us. Stream us live at saga960am.ca.
Hey, welcome back to the Brian Crumby Radio Hour, Saga 960. We've been having a conversation with uh, two uh, MD PhDs from the University of Lethbridge, Dr. Igor Kovacek and Dr. Olga Kovacek, um, who uh, are both uh, specializing right now in taking a look at the use of cannabis for both cancer as well as uh, COVID-19. Um, but Olga, Dr. Olga Kovacek, uh, uh, we mentioned uh, on the top that uh, you're from the Ukraine and uh, you were born or grew up near uh, Chernobyl. Um, tell me, what was that like? Well, you know, to be born in Ukraine, it was actually great, you know. <laughs> but I was, you know, I keep saying to people that I was born in a country that doesn't exist anymore, and people give me this look like, what? It's like, well, I was born in USSR. It's it's no longer there. So, and, and, and right now, the part I was born is Ukraine now. And uh, so, yes, you know, in... 1986 i was still in high school and it was still ussr and the day day was still may day parade and everybody had to go and my late dad he at that time he worked in a medical in medical academy he was trying to find me and to say not not to go anywhere why because the word on the street was there was something wrong and the department of physics actually took a geiger counter and stuck it out of the window into that rain to figure out that it was actually quite radioactive so it was oh, a, hold it, hold it. They stuck a Geiger counter out the window into the rain and noticed the radiation then? Uh, well, it was because the, the explosion happened in on April 26th, right? Um, 1st of May, it was a classical Soviet thing to do, the May Day Parade. Uh, do you want it or do you not? You have to go, you know. If you're in high school, you just have to go. And it was raining. It was really rainy. It was like terrible, terrible downpour. And the word was, was already circulated that something happened in the nuclear power plant. And again, my friends, uh, my dad's friends, they were in the Department of Physics. And they said, well, you know, if something happened, if it's moving our way, then we should be able to, to you know, pick up the traces. They just stuck that counter. That counter started going off the scale. And that's why my dad tried to find me and say, you know, you shouldn't be here. And I was like, I can't. So we all went. And do I understand you were 600 miles away when you, this Geiger counter yeah, was going off the scale? About 600 kilometers away because the way the winds were going, uh, so it happened there and then everything started blowing towards Western Europe, kind of towards Europe, westerly winds. So, and we were west directly in those, that wind path. So actually there was a, quite a lot of downpour. And then a couple of days later, uh, when when the system moved to Europe, that's when Europe picked up the contamination, and they said yes. And that at that point, uh, the, at that time, Soviet government had to announce that yes, we had an accident. Yes, it happened because previously it was all hush hush. And and quickly tell us your story. When when did the two of you guys meet? And did you meet in Ukraine or in Canada? And when did you come to Canada? Uh, we met in Ukraine, so our, in in uh, in Ukraine or, or Soviet Union that time, we had entrance exams to university, and um, <laughs> believe me or not, but I failed biology exam from the very first time I tried, uh, and um, and Olga helped you uh, get uh, get a pass. No. Her father was a, a, my tutor in biochemistry, right? So that's how we met. <laughs> yes. And, and, uh, and when did you come to Canada? In 2001, so we, we've been in Switzerland for five years, so we moved uh, uh, in 1996, I believe, from Ukraine and to Switzerland, uh, worked on, in Friedrich Mischer Institute in Novartis, and in 2001, we came here. Now, lots of stories about people uh, coming from uh, Eastern Europe or elsewhere that have difficulty getting their qualifications uh, um, seen validly in Canada. Did you uh, have any issues there? 
Yes and no. Uh, because for medical degree, for medical degree, degree we haven't, uh, we even haven't pursued that because we were told it's all, it's, it's extremely, extremely yeah. it was at that time when we came was extremely difficult. It was a bit eased off, but it's still extremely difficult. So, but with a science degree, because we also had PhDs, science degrees were accepted Acceptable, and yeah. uh, in scientific degrees, it was not a problem. Well, we're glad that you're doing this work. Tell us uh, if you uh, get the funding to go into clinical trial, that will be what, a, a phase one uh, safety trial in, in humans? Phase two. Phase two, because basically safety of main active ingredients, CBD and THC is established from multiple clinical trials. So right now it's sufficient just to uh, claim basically what's known in literature. Yeah. Okay, so then you go into phase two, which would be how many people, and you're doing what, safety and efficacy, I presume? It would be, yes, phase two will be safety efficacy, and uh, depending upon whether or not we're going into treatment or prevention trial, we have been discussing with a couple of colleagues, and it may be from as, from as slow as 300 people, or it may need actually up to 1,000 people. 1,000 people, and these would be people that, uh, that are um, just healthy volunteers, or is this people with COVID-19? Again, depending upon what we want to do. Right. So if a preventative, we'll do healthy uh, volunteers, but primarily people who are in danger of being exposed more. So maybe you know, uh, medical doctors, uh, nurses, uh, no, first-line responders. Uh, and for uh, the curative intent, basically, we need people with you know, positive uh, COVID and uh, mild symptoms and something like that. So. Just so they progress. I presume you'd have to do a phase three as well, which is the, then with people that uh, would, would be active. Um, I spoke with some people at the University of Saskatchewan that are developing a vaccine, and they said the challenge is um, finding enough people that actually are active. Yes, true, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Yes. So it would be, it has to be multiple site uh, clinical trials, right? So in many, many hospitals, yeah. No, and so if, uh, if, you were, if you got the money, how quickly would you have a, a phase three clinical trial done and submitted to Health Canada? Phase two first. Phase two, yeah. We have to start with phase two, and yeah. if phase two is successful, then we go into phase three. Okay, if so tell me, the, we what would be the time frame for those two phases? So I would say for phase two, uh, we, we can realistically could submit within two, three months uh, the uh, uh, clinical trial protocol and uh, start uh, accruing patients uh, five to six months probably, right? And then the trial would run months to two, one, one, two months data analysis. So it means phase three probably start in uh, May 2021. Yeah. And then the phase three would take how long? Uh, another three, four months. It's, it's not that long, right? It depends how quickly the patients are. Exactly. Are it depends upon how big your patient population is. So we're 18 months away. If, you know, if we yeah. hit, again, the huge wave, then patient accrual becomes not a problem anymore, but then it's a big problem for everybody, you know. Yeah, so you know, uh, Andrew, uh, Anthony Falci, uh, the, the head of the, the NIH or whatever it is, uh, yesterday was saying that uh, he was expecting a huge second wave in the fall. Yep. So yes, don't that's to accelerate the work that you are doing? Right, right. So and we're trying to move in both uh, directions. So we're looking for partners uh, in in US. We have some hints working with some partners. So idea is to do both countries. Yeah. Well, I uh, I have to congratulate you for the work that you're doing. I have to encourage you. And if I can help in any way, uh, please let me know. Uh, as uh, as uh, as you may know, uh, based on our conversation, I've had some uh, 
uh, prior experience in the pharmaceutical industry, as well as some experience in botanical pharmaceuticals. Uh, they weren't cannabis, but they were other pharmaceuticals. And so I know a little bit about what you're talking about, and I'd love to help you. Anyway, it's been a pleasure chatting with you tonight. I wish you uh, success in uh, your developments. Um, and thank you very much for everything you're doing. We're talking with Dr. We have been talking with Dr. Igor Kovacek. He's the CEO of Pathway Rx Inc. Um, and Dr. Olga Kovacek, who's a professor um, and a Board of Governors Chair in Cancer. Thank you both very much for joining us tonight on the Brian Clinton Radio. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.